For the Craft Podcast, I'm Michael Rogg. And I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. The Craft Podcast serves the community of web developers, designers, business people, content creators, and everyone else who use the Craft Content Management System to build awesome stuff on the web. With this podcast, we're aiming to give a voice to the Craft CMS community, to bring you relevant news, to answer questions, and help you develop your skills, and to celebrate the awesome things you've accomplished with craft in your tool belt. You notice how I didn't read your typo there? Like a true professional. Wait, what was the typo? I didn't I didn't read your typo. News to answer questions and help develop your skills and to celebrate the awesome things you're accomplishing with craft in your tool belt. Hmm. All right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and to wish you a very happy new year. Um, by the time you are listening to this, it will be 2017. Right now, it is New Year's wait, Eve. Wait, wait, how do you how do you know? It's not New Year's Eve. It is to New Year's Eve. Are you retarded? Yes, but also, it's New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> what are you talking it's Where? December th- In Australia? It's December 31st. All right, it doesn't count until I go to sleep, but okay. So what whatever. are you doing, New Year's, New Year's Eve? This is the, it's early in the morning, so Michael is going to sing to us episode. Right, but podcast. if you, if, if the podcast, if the podcast gets edited quickly and released, they could be reading it. It wouldn't even, it could still be 2016. Not a chance, bro. Possibly. I've no. got way too many cocktails in between me and midnight to do any oh, podcast okay. editing. Well, then realistically, this you guys are probably going to hear this podcast in May. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. Oh, man. So um, Andrew and I were chatting and, uh, you know, we want to it's, – it's been just such a quiet few months uh, in the craft community. Everybody's kind of heads down, wrapping up the year, wrapping up projects. Really? Who's calling me in the middle of the night? Are you – Getting booty calls, you know? Are you joking? Anyway, um, but we wanted to, to squeeze out one more episode, um, and we thought about doing, you know, like uh, the, the popular thing in the podcast world is to to record a year in review, um, but we didn't really feel like racking our brains to remember stuff that happened in 2016, <laughs> um, and so uh, we decided to do a 2017 year in anticipation uh yeah and, and, and I, I like that i mean if you think about it our eyes are in the front of our head we can either be looking forwards or we can be looking backwards you can't do both at the same time right so let's look forward and we can make predictions about stuff and we can be horribly and miraculously wrong and you guys can laugh at us for all of our horrible predictions are you joking <laughs> No. Just answer it, answer it, answer it. No, no, no. All right, so 2017, year in anticipation. So we we shortlisted uh, some stuff that we think that we're looking forward to in 2017, um, all of it at least tangentially related to craft. 
and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna go through our short list and uh, uh, hopefully give y'all lots of things to uh, to be excited about for 2017 in the world of craft and um, obviously the first uh, we'll do your short list first we each picked four little bullet points and Andrew picked his first so he got the obvious one which is craft three <laughs> i took all the easy ones yeah i mean i mean i'm sure that you're looking forward to it i am definitely looking forward to uh to seeing craft three in uh in 2017 yeah i um i actually already have my first craft three website up um i'm not going to tell you which one it is because obviously running a craft three website in production before craft three is released is not a smart idea so don't try this at home uh but i've been playing around with with craft 3 quite a bit um trying to get a jump on plugin development and really learning ye 2 which right. i'm really excited about um we've talked before on the podcast you can learn a lot just by source diving through ye learn a lot about architectural patterns and uh and application design and um Yi too obviously takes that to the next level. Uh, the more I, I source dive through through Yi too, uh, the more I'm impressed with just the folks behind this project um, and and how they've put this framework together. Yeah, and 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 Brandon has mentioned that too. That uh, you know they said that they have learned a ton from the Yi guys in terms of how they're architecting things as well. And I think that's something that is uh, is kind of interesting here is that um, in some ways what they did with the original Craft, you know, 1X and 2X branches as far as plugin developers were, was concerned is they kind of added their own layers to the whole onion. Mm -hmm. And they kind of insulated us from the Yi underpinnings, right? And I, I think that when you build something, you figure out how to build it right. Then you can go back. And you can build it the way that if you if you only knew then what you know now. Right. The first time you build it is the learning process. And right. the second time you build it, you build it the way you really wanted to but didn't know how to the first time. Right. And they're uh, kind of rolling back that comfort layer uh, that was in there uh, in terms of insulating plugins. And now you're really going to be uh, a full-class citizen in terms of uh being your plugin will be made of ye components um, but that also mean means that as as brandon puts it the training wheels are coming off to some extent um, so there are there are a number of things from a plugin developer's point of view um, that are going to be changing uh, but i think they're all positive because you know we're already using ye which is a fantastic framework why not have the plugins be uh, first-class citizens and expose us to all the the lovely yeeness, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. the The first thing I got into was the the whole like console command architecture, which mm. is very different from how it was in in Yi One, and uh, it and it takes a bit of extra like, plugin development in Craft Three takes just a bit more squinting and a bit more studying than plugin development in craft one but uh but for me you know i spent a few minutes squinting at it like a dummy and then pretty quickly i was able to 
get some momentum and, and start rolling. And so once you sort of figure out the syntactical differences between E1 and E2 and sort of how the components are organized and you know where to look for what sort of thing, um, I, w- I was able to get, get rolling pretty quick. So I'm really enjoying plugin development for Craft 3. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of what I was getting into was a lot of the validation stuff. And I think I actually... I think I tweeted about it or something, but the more that I dove into um, Yi 2, the leaner my code got, mm-hmm. which was awesome, right? I mean, you just, you find out how much of a robust framework that it offers you and you figure out um, kind of the methodologies that you're using and you start buying into it. And I, I spent, um, you know, a bunch of time writing some code. And then as I learned more and more, I, I spent a bunch of time removing code. You know, which was, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So that's Craft 3, and we want it to come out, right? I mean, it's going to be uh, in uh, Pixel and Tonic's uh, capable hands in terms of when that happens. But they have announced that the next release is going to be a beta. So they've they've put out a few dev previews, and, and they've said the next release is going to be a beta, and we're looking for it uh, early in, in 2017. So... Yep. Um, well, you know what, I, yeah, get, Brad, get I was talking to Brad Bell from Pixel and Tonic, mm-hmm. and he actually told me that one of the major uh, reasons for the delay is they kept on getting these support tickets from this Michael Rogue guy uh, and just required hand-holding left and right, and they were just not able to get anything done. That is probably a complete <laughs> understatement. Um. Speaking of plugin development, mm. um, the Craft Plugin Store is also upcoming. Uh, they've said basically the, when they put out the beta is when they'll start uh, really going pedal to the metal on the Craft Plugin Store. Uh, I'm excited about that because for plugin developers, it means that there'll be a nice infrastructure for licensing and installation and updating and auto-updating. We get to take advantage of the same really nice UI that Craft itself uh, uses to to manage licensing and updates. And I'm excited for what that means for developers and, and even end clients in terms of being able to really easily keep their sites up to date for speed and security and being able to take advantage of of the latest APIs and all of these things, um, how Craft makes that so easy. And of all the CMSs, I would wager that that Craft probably has the most up-to-date install base of like any PHP CMS, just because of how easy it is to update stuff. And so I'm excited that we get to, to tap into that uh, that ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've heard, uh, you know, some people talk about it. Uh, some, you know, independent developers say, oh, you know, they're kind of lamenting the coming of the plugin store because, um, you know, all these free plugins that are out there, they're, they're worried that, you know, now it's going to be start costing an arm and a leg to, to do this, that, or the other thing. But and the, the thing to keep in mind about that is that the way that the 
big companies and the big markets are going to take you seriously is when you have a serious ecosystem. And you cannot have a serious ecosystem unless something like this exists. You know, you just can't. And I, you know, I think open source is wonderful. I love open source, but you really do need an ecosystem that will support and reward someone who is willing to put in the time to develop a plugin. Well, and you still will. Nothing says you can't have a free yeah. plugin in the plugin store. But the right. uh, the other thing about the plugin store that I'm really excited about is the opportunity for uh, automating testing stuff so that you know when updates to plugins get submitted to the store there's an automated suite of tests that runs that makes sure this plugin doesn't break anything you know there's probably some um some code linting that that can be done i'm not sure what uh, what tricks uh pixel and tonic have up their sleeves but i know that uh that's a topic that they've right. uh, expressed interest in and so um nothing says you can't have free plugins but what it probably means is that free and commercial plugins uh, will be of higher quality and and more trustworthy, Absolutely. which also I think really benefits the, the ecosystem to know that there's at least a baseline of quality. Absolutely. Um, and now for something completely different. <laughs> You've got Vue.js on your list. Yep, I'm I'm a big Vue.js fan, uh, and you have, so you were Vue.js before you were into Vue.js before G, Vue.js was cool, right? Well, it was it was always cool. It was cool from the beginning, but but yeah. So you you have um, you've written a blog post about Vue. Um, tell me about Vue.js in Craft in 2017. I, I really started getting into Vue.js. I listened to, um, God, my name's blanking, the the author... Uh, Evan. Evan Yu, Evan right? Evan Yu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on a podcast and he was discussing uh, the changes. And this is before Vue.js 2 was out. Uh, and, you know, hold on. We should take a step back. Anyone who doesn't know what Vue.js is, um, Vue.js is essentially... Uh, a way to do front-end uh, interfaces via JavaScript in a componentized way and a data-driven way. So it's a framework. Vue.js is a JavaScript framework right. that handles data binding and componentization uh, really nicely. Uh, a real simple example would be in uh, if you're you're used to using jQuery, where you basically you have a selector and you plumb into the DOM to find something, um, and then you change that thing, and you know that's how you are uh, making the you know changing things in the DOM. Well, Vue kind of takes the opposite approach, where you define the data like a checkbox or uh, a text box or a list or whatever. And you change the data, and as a result of that, it then changes the DOM to reflect your data model. Um, so I wouldn't say it's taking necessarily the opposite approach, but it is a different approach um, that jQuery takes. jQuery is more of a kind of general purpose toolkit, um, and Vue.js is a framework uh, for actually doing this stuff. And the reason I put it on my list is, you know, yes, I've been getting into it lately. Um, 
I was kind of waiting all along for the 2.0 version of it to come out because they promised server-side rendering and some other stuff that I consider important to me. Um, but now that I have been getting into it, I'm mad at myself that I took so long uh, to start using it because it's just, it's just fun. I mean, honestly, it is fun. Uh, and it feels so good to define this stuff as uh, proper data models and have everything just kind of magically work based on that. Right. So the what I love about Vue and what is really attractive about Vue for people coming from libraries like jQuery, it's the difference between uh, imperative code and declarative code. So if I'm using jQuery to manipulate my DOM, I'm having to write specific instructions um, that when something happens, um, I know what DOM element, what piece of the page needs to be updated, and I go tell that piece of the page to update itself. Um, so I'm, I'm writing imperative code because I'm telling the DOM what to do. Whereas with Vue, uh, we call that declarative code because I'm um, really more model-focused, which is, you know, we say, we call it a Vue model. Um, and I only have to tell a piece of the page what it is um, and and which piece of the the source data it's linked to and then it is smart enough it becomes smart enough to keep track of what state it is supposed to be displaying it, it knows how to update itself and it's watching for changes in the source data and so I don't have to go tell it specifically uh, every time it needs to update I just model the data and I let view take care of binding the source data with uh, with the bits of the page that it's right, supposed to. Give me an to. example. You just lost half the people that are listening. I, I want did an not. <laughs> so, so if I'm building a uh, the, the classic to-do list application and I'm building it in jQuery um, when my customer clicks the new to-do button I'm using jQuery to create a new div and uh, or a new you know, list item or something and uh, I'm using jQuery to read the text that my user typed in out of the text box and put it into the text of this new list item that I've created right so I'm, I'm having to write each step of that imperatively with a view model data binding framework like Vue.js, um, or if you know you've used Knockout or React or other uh, sort of front end frameworks, um, these are all kind of playing off the same pattern. Um, my to do list application just has an array in JavaScript, and the array is the list of to do items, and when my user types in a new to-do list thing and presses enter, JavaScript appends that item to the array. And the list or the divs or whatever is, is displaying my list items on the screen um, knows that it is related to that list and it knows that for each item in the array there's supposed to be an li tag or a list item component and so when that array gets updated, I don't have to go tell the DOM what to do. The DOM is watching that array. 
the DOM knows that it's supposed to reflect that array, and the DOM just updates itself based on the values that get added to that array. So I, I don't yeah, have and to you go do, specifically you do less tell it what work. to do. Yeah, you're doing a whole lot less busy work. Right. You know, you, you define your data structures and you define the way this stuff is supposed to appear and view takes care of all the details. Whereas if you were to attempt to do the same thing with jQuery with, you know, spit and glue and string and all that kind of stuff, yes, you could do it. Um, but it's just a ton more work. Um, and I, I found personally that it's just, um, I get to spend more time thinking about what I'm actually building than actually building it, if that makes sense. Sure. sure. Which is always, I mean, for me, that's a huge win. More fun yeah. than, than listening to us try to explain Vue. Uh, if anybody uh, has not heard of Vue and wants to learn more about Vue, uh, you should go check out Viewcasts which is um, Jeffrey Way of Laracast fame, has a series of, of tutorial videos about Vue, and they're all free. The, the intro yep. course is free, and it's a fantastic resource for learning about Vue. Um, you said a, a really interesting thing about Vue, which is that it plays nicely with craft, um, mm -hmm. which is why I think both you and I have taken such a liking to it because we work in craft so much. Um, and to me, it feels very similar in terms of my thought patterns when I'm building a backend with Craft or when I'm building a front end um, with using Vue. Um, it's all about the purity of the the data model, and I get to think about um, I get to spend my effort thinking about what is the data and what does it represent and what's the cleanest, most elegant way to model that data. And, um, and then the framework just doesn't get in my way. Um, the framework is agnostic to most things. It's unopinionated about most things. Whatever markup I want to bring, whatever design I want to bring, um, the framework just helps me animate that. It helps yeah, me turn, and it has turn my data into a living thing um, without prescribing how exactly I need to do that. Yeah, and it has this wonderful concept of components where you can just package up your UI widget into a component that you can then reuse all over the place. And and in addition, you know, if uh, you're maybe not incredibly savvy with writing JavaScript, there's a ton of components out there you can just grab and start using. Um, and due to the abstraction layer that uh, Vue.js has, you really can just grab them and start using them. Um, and it's, it, is, it is just really cool. Well, and, uh, and, and it's if a whole lot of fun. If you're used to writing Twig templates, um, then writing templates using Vue, you know, HTML and JavaScript templates, um, it's a similar syntax. It's a similar feeling. Um, it's almost like Vue is twig for your front end um in a way and so i just um i think yeah, well it... let's talk about that though let's talk about how people would actually use uh the two of them together so a way that you have discussed it with me in the past is you use craft for uh the content management on the back end um and then you use view on the front end to kind of light up that data that craft has provided to it 
right? Uh, in terms of making the UI interactive or, or whatever. And those are, I think it's just important to mention that to kind of show where in this uh, stack, I guess, I hate that term, but where in this stack that uh, Vue.js kind of fits into the picture. Right. In the same way that, you know, your data source in craft is, um, is the database and then you have your for loops or whatever that's taking data out of the database and rendering in a certain way in with view, the data source is your JavaScript state, your data, and yep. you have for loops and includes and components and stuff that, you know, takes the data and uh, renders it however you want. Um, and a lot of times, you know, that could be um, just focused on interactive components, really, you know, interactive forms where a button over here lights up a switch over there, or it could be something like uh, pulling data out of craft using the element API and fetching, right. fetching your data as JSON and rendering a list of blog posts or um, handling search results or whatever. Um, view picks up at the point in the stack where you've received some data from the server and you want to bring it to life with uh, with JavaScript. So a lot of times we're using Vue, um, uh, using the Element API, and we suck that data out of craft, and then we render it on the front end. Um, but that's certainly not the not the only way to use it. But um, but again, I think the what differentiates Vue in my mind from some of the other frameworks out there, you know, Angular and React. Um, and stuff like that is that it, it only really cares about a pretty thin piece of the stack. It wants to be very good at view model management. It wants to be good at binding your JavaScript data to its DOM representation. It doesn't need to care about routing. It doesn't need to care about, um, you know, if, if you use React or you use Angular, um, they, they're really very opinionated about, pretty much the whole front-end stack, top to bottom. Do, do it my way or the highway. Right, and Vue takes this very light-handed approach of give me your data however you want, and I'll spit it out however you want, and the only thing that I really need to care about is the Vue model management. And so in the sa it's, it's light-handed in the same way that Craft is light-handed. You know, we've talked right. in, in previous episodes about how some other systems... Um, are, are very heavy-handed and want to own the whole stack and want to have tight control over your your output, your template output and stuff like that. And Craft comes along and what makes Craft awesome is that you get to structure everything how you want. And Craft only cares about this very thin piece of the stack, which is managing your content. And and everything else you get to to decide for yourself. And so I think that's why it feels comfortable to, to me um, to be using uh, Vue in the same way that it's comfortable to be using Craft because it's just so empowering um, in its Right, and, in its and Vue does have these things, right? I mean, it does have a Vue router and it's got all if these other want. fun stuff, but you, don't, yeah. but you don't have to use it. You don't have to buy into it, um, which makes Vue very approachable compared to, you know, if you were to start to, to learn React versus starting to learn Vue, you're going to get up to speed in Vue a whole lot quicker. Um, 
but it still scales well. Um, and I included it on my list because I think you're going to be hearing a lot about Vue.js um, in 2017 and forward. Um, and I also think that Vue.js marries itself uh, pretty well with Craft. There's no reason you can't use it alongside it. And some guy wrote a blog on how to do this, too. And check out uh, the <laughs> NY Studio 107 <laughs> blog. We've talked about Vue.js for a long time. Let's move on. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, you got one more item on your list. I do. Uh, oh, right. Um, so one of the other things that uh, I have kind of been diving into, and I know you've been diving into, you've even been getting flown all over the world and getting up on stage and giving speeches and everything. Only one speech. Not but, speeches, just stop. one. Don't, don't ruin the image, okay? You are a jet setter, sought-after speaker to talk about things in the mobile community. That's right. Um, from the point of view of news articles, mm-hmm. right? So the the primary focus of Google AMP, Facebook Instant Articles, and Apple News are all, um, especially from the Facebook and Apple point of view, uh, their way to kind of corral uh, their own news content. And it's sort of interesting because one of the wonderful things about the web is also, I think one of the horrible things about the web, which is that yes, there are standards, but no one is standing behind your back saying, no, 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 you really have to do it this way. Um, And all three of these platforms are really kind of doing that, right? So they're saying, if you want to publish a Facebook instant article, it has to do X, Y, and Z, and it works within these parameters. Uh, Same thing with Google AMP. There's very specific things you have to do. You have to pass a validator in order to to have this thing considered uh, to be valid AMP page. Same thing with Apple News. You actually have to apply uh, to be a news publisher. You have to then get approved, and you have to deliver stuff in a very specific way to be a part of that ecosystem. So, you know, the interesting thing about it to me is like, I get why these guys are doing it both from a business point of view uh, and also from a user experience point of view. Um, And, and also quite frankly, you know, tying into the user experience, uh, the fact that they want to make this stuff fast. I mean, that's one of the, the number one problems with mobile devices is, People complain about how slow right. and shitty, frankly, a lot of the web pages out there are. I mean, it's just a fact. <laughs> yeah, that's really the premise behind um, all of the, these products that you've mentioned. Google AMP, Facebook Instant Articles, Apple News. Basically, you have these platform developers, and um, the customers of their platforms are posting and subsequently... Right clicking on and consuming a bunch of news media um, and and maybe not just news but what I'll call you know story media news and blogs and clickbait and you know whatever it is that's in in article-esque form right that's that's really one of the the biggest currencies of uh, these really popular mobile platforms is, these articles that get posted and consumed, and um, the the users of these platforms uh, were just sort of getting sick and tired of the mobile web being really slow. And if I click on a, a an article that my friend posted, and I have to wait ten seconds for 
this page to load a bunch of ads and beacons and heavy images and heavy media and bullshit, um, that's not a good experience for me. And that kind of rubs off then on my perception of the platform, not just whoever is is uh, serving right. me this news content, but I actually am having a bad experience on Facebook or I'm having a bad experience on Twitter or whatever because all this stuff is is slow and ugly and just not a good experience on a mobile phone, on a mobile network. And so the platforms said, well, we want to own market share. And so we need to focus on having a good mobile experience. And the most important piece of that is speed. Um, yeah. And, and if you're, if you're one of those developers that is listening to this and you've, you know, run Google page speed insights on your site and it, came up terrible and you just shrugged and hit the publish button anyway well this is a primary reason why all of these things exist yeah right? yeah so so I apple mean, says what it is so apple says how can we make reading articles a really good experience on an iphone and facebook says how can we make reading articles a really good experience in the facebook app um, and Google takes a more general approach, but it's the same theme. And they say, how can we make reading articles from Google searches uh, or reading articles across the open web really fast? And if we can figure out a way to make this fast and make it feel native and really nice, then that'll be a better experience for, for our users. And so then they each kind of defined this specification that allows them to make the the news or the article experience feel really native and fast on each of their platforms. Right. And think about it. Two out of the three products that we mentioned, they have speed as part of their name. You know, and like that is the primary feature that they're selling. I mean AMP Lightning Bolt. Accelerated and, mobile pages. Yeah. yeah and and Instant, Instant articles, you know, they, yeah. Facebook considered it so important that speed was the primary selling feature of this thing that they're calling them instant articles. I mean, that that actually is kind of extraordinary if right. you think about it, uh, yeah. because they are marketing this thing. The primary benefit of this thing is that it's going to be fast, right? Yeah. Um, and, and this is all, you know, what we've discussed so far is kind of the the technical case for it, which is is very sound. Um, the business case is obviously also that they want to uh, be kind of uh, in their walled garden. They want to have this content and they want to be able to make it available uh, to advertisers, right? I mean, that's where that's where they make money. The more right? eyeballs you own and the less right. anybody has to leave your platform to go anywhere, right. the more money you will make and the more network effect your, your platform will have. Yeah. And and you know, there are lots of companies that are trying to emulate what WeChat has done in China, mm -hmm. which is this app that started out just as like a messaging app, but now yeah, you can do everything it's just from this Omni app. You can do everything. You can pay your bills. You can order pizza. I mean, you can literally do everything, and people never have to leave this app. Like that's this right. thing just like does it all, right? Right. Um, and I'm not saying that that's the be all or end all of the way that uh, this type of thing should work. Um, but really, I mean, that's the goal is to keep you there. Right. right? So Google AMP, Facebook Instant Articles, Apple News, um, 
they have all sort of defined um, their specifications. And, and the way this works, the way you take article content and you make it feel fast and native is that each one of these platforms tells you, okay, publisher, you are going to submit your articles to us in this certain way using these certain components um, so that we can cache them so um, that when somebody clicks a link for your article in my platform, I don't actually have to take them to go find that article on your website. I already have that content and I have it in a way that corresponds to the, the experience that I want on my platform. Um, and so Facebook Instant Articles has defined different pieces of an article that you can have, an image or a paragraph or a pull quote or whatever. And Apple News does the same thing. And Google AMP yep. has, has their components. And, and the idea is that if they can control the format that you submit your content in and then they can cache it, then it becomes really cheap and fast for them to serve that content on their platform right. to whoever clicks on it. And this is relevant to us as, um, as content management developers because you know this magical promise of the CMS is you create once and you publish everywhere. So right. I have the same uh, source of content. Craft holds all my content and... Um, depending on which of these ecosystems I think it is valuable for me to to be in, I need to then be able to give that that platform, you know, I need to, to reshuffle my content and output it in a way that each of these platforms will be satisfied yeah, but, and will, but here's the will thing. accept and the, my content. And here's the thing, and this gets to the segmentation thing that I kind of open this thing with. Um, and that is, if you if you're a publisher, you, you don't pick one of these things. Yeah, you you do them all. Like I mean, there's just no two ways about it. It's not like you're just like, well, I'm a publisher, so I'm going to pick Facebook Instant Articles, and that's all I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just not the way that it works, right? Um, and that really is kind of segmenting things because now we've got a website. Right. And then we have kind of hearkening back to the, the bad old days when we had mobile versions of our site. So we kind of have our mobile version of our site in Google AMP. I realize it's not an exact analogy, but it's close. Yeah. Um, and then we have our syndicated content in these private walled gardens that are Facebook Instant Articles and Apple News. And, you know, realistically, if you are in the publishing business, you're going to do all three. <laughs> I mean, sorry, you're going to do all four. Right. You're going to do a website, Google AMP, Facebook Instant Articles, Apple News, and, you know. And, may web... and maybe you have a native app of your own you know, you across do. a couple mobile platforms. And so I guess in, in terms of, you know, we got here from the theme of things to look out for for 2017. Um, right. I think for us, um, we are going to see and have already seen, you know, you've written about this on your blog. Um, I've done some some Google AMP stuff. Um, you have given speeches around the world, right? But only Michael. one speech. But but <laughs> the point is, our community, the craft community. I mean, the the publishing community and the CMS world 
but but of you know to our interest the craft cms world um, right. is going to start looking for patterns to make this create once publish everywhere thing um, take less time and less effort and less money to kind of um, you know to be able to serve content to all these platforms uh, exactly. without without breaking our bank um, and so I think we will see growing interest and growing understanding of these these specs and these ecosystems um, across the board if if you are, are a web developer um, I think this is an area that that you should be looking at to educate yourself to be able to offer this expertise um, when it's relevant to your right. clients because there's a lot of um, what we know for sure is that there's a lot of dollars headed towards these uh, these article ecosystems. And, and circling back, you guys can't see this, but I'm waving my arm around in a hypnotic in circle. In a circle, yeah. I'm, we're circling back. This all gets back to, again, craft as a content management system. As you can see, we now have four different ways that our content is going to be delivered, right? And craft is not just about serving web pages. It really is about managing your content in the same way that uh, it manages your content to be able to serve it up as an API via the Element API to Vue.js. It also can take your content and serve it up in these myriad of forms that are being segmented all over the place. And I just think that's a very, very important thing that going forward, we need to think about our CMS systems as exactly what they are, content management systems, not as web publishing tools, because really that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue. That, that finishes off your 2017 list, but it's a perfect segue into um, my first bullet point, which is um, craft as a content management framework. We, we've heard of CMS is an acronym that's familiar to us. And um, in the last year or so, we've really started hearing uh, people on the web talk about CMFs, uh, content management frameworks. Um, and it's kind of this, this growing acknowledgement that the stuff that we need our CMS to, to do is just becoming so much broader along with all of the, the technologies and the ecosystems that our content is serving. Traditionally, we think of the CMS as um, the thing that enables the non-technical secretary to publish a blog post on the website without needing to know HTML, right? It's, it's the way that you, that you make it really easy to update a website. Um, and what we're, we're realizing is that um, the web isn't just websites anymore, like you said. Um, and so we're starting to think of, um, of our content management systems not just as a storage vehicle for the content of our website, but as a framework that we are building content empires on top of. Right. Um, and in the case of Craft... Um, this, um, this speaks to uh, Kraft's uh, inclusion of a, a commerce system, right? Um, because, because content is also products and stores, and it's not just um, the information about products. 
in a store, but it's also um, managing orders and um, sales and logic around users and addresses. And all of this is really related and needs to be close to our content and, and our content and our commerce are talking to each other in in new and exciting ways. And we're building plugins to go serve news to Apple News or our CMSs now have APIs built on top of them that uh, talk to our mobile apps and handle subscriptions. So just the ways that we're using our CMSs um, is really growing. And so we're starting to kind of have this understanding of craft as a as a framework, not just as a, a CMS, but really as a, a development framework for, for building our, our empires. Um, and I think that both from a, a technical perspective and a business perspective, that's going to be a theme in, in 2017. Um, and, and Michael, I know you're used to me talking about farm animals and stuff, but in this case, I'm going to think of it as a, a cephalopod, a.k.a. you know an octopus is a cephalopod, you know, whatever. One tentacle of this octopus is the website that we put out. We've got all these other tentacles out there. The actual CMS is the core, the actual octopus itself, but each one of these tentacles are different ways that that content is being delivered, <laughs> right? So we we got one tentacle for our website, Another one's going to Google AMP. We've got a third tentacle that's crawling around the back that's doing Facebook instant articles. We've got another one that's our Element API that our app talks to for to make purchases, all that kinds of stuff. Just think about the CMF from that point of view is that it has many, many tentacles that are kind of branching out into different areas. Sure. You know? And it, and it's not just um, sufficient anymore that our CMS should be good at managing content. Um, that's still important. It's still essential. Um, but now we also have to care about how our CMS talks to other things. Um, right. and, and that is an area in which craft really excels um, because of the, the foundation in Yi being a really solid application development framework because of the, craft API and the, the element architecture um, and, and how it deals very elegantly with pure content um, and, and a clean schema uh, and, and a well-documented API. Like all of these things are, are, are ways that craft excels that specifically make it a good content management framework. Not only does it manage content really well for our websites, but it can talk to other systems that are producing and consuming content. And so we can build these, these integrations with commerce and platforms and, and whatever. And so I think the business cases uh, for that and the technology patterns for that, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about and learn about this. Yeah. This year. And people are already doing it. I mean, there, there are plenty of people that are using craft right now as a headless CMS that, you know, is just providing data to something else, whether it's an app or whether it's another website or, or what have you. Um, but I, I, I think you're hit the nail on the head with this, that it's something that we're going to be seeing more and more going forward. And I think we should personally lobby uh, to Pixel and Tonic that they should adopt as their mascot, 
an octopus. An octopus. I feel like Git, octopus. I feel like GitHub already has that unlocked, though. No, they could come up with their own unique design, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a thing that that not, it's not just technologists. I mean, technologists have been talking about this for a long time. This is you know, integrations are not new as a topic for us, no. but but clients are starting to really understand right. the the business case um, and the opportunities for this stuff. And so it's, it's really reaching mainstream as a, um, as a topic of conversation. So, um, yeah, I mean, real people that are real in the industry know that this has been going on for a very long time, but you're absolutely right that it is reached the point where the average client that you're going to be talking to, the, we're, we're not going to just discuss making a website for them all the time. Right. There, there are usually a lot of other uh, pieces to that puzzle. Yeah. In fact, the really fun thing, and I, I don't know if, if I'll go so far as to predict that 2017 will be predict the year it. for this. But, predict it. But it, it's not long before um, clients will come to us, um, us craft developers, um, and maybe not want a website at all. Um, mm. Like the website is probably not the key problem that we are solving for too right. much longer. Um, you know, it's just, it's going to be just another piece of a project, you know, or just another thing that we do in an array of other stuff. So if like building websites is your key business model right now, um, then you need to be looking on the horizon for like what's beyond the website because um, that tide is, is shifting. I think the website is becoming less important and, uh, and just, the, it's just, the it's just one tentacle. Michael. You know, it's just one tentacle. It's just one tentacle in the, you heard it here first. Michael, Michael predicted that 2017 was going to be the year that clients stopped coming to you and asking you to build a website. The death of the website. Long live the website. <laughs> um, that also speaks I like your to, bold prediction. That also I like sp- it. speaks to, um, to another bullet point on, on my list, which is I, I think this year is the year when uh, content marketing really hits critical mass in terms of like mainstream demand. Uh, from clients. I, I think we've, in the last couple of years, seen a huge upswelling of um, of content marketing um, as a discipline in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, and clients and practitioners understanding what content marketing is um, and developers sort of learning what that means from a technology patterns standpoint. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, but I don't, I haven't seen yet, um, that, that content marketing as a discipline really has like a first class seat at the table. Um, yet, um, I think, I, I think this year is the year that, um, content marketing becomes the discipline that is driving our projects rather than just participating in projects on the web. All right. So Michael, you're not talking, when you're talking content marketing, 
You're not talking about paying someone to go write blog posts that talk about how awesome your business is, right? Well, that's, I guess, one niche thing that... We're not, we're not like, talking about, you know, the, the, S- the, the about. SEO crap that people did, you know, five or six years ago where they just spewed all sorts of crap with links to your website. That's not what you're talking about, right? Tell me that's not what you're talking about. I mean, I guess that is technically content marketing, but it's like evil content marketing. So no, I'm not talking about that. (laughs) Content marketing is basically um, a, a strategy for marketing that says, rather than telling you about how awesome we are or how awesome our thing is, um, we're going to focus on creating and distributing valuable, relevant content and doing it really consistently at a right. high quality level in order to attract a devoted audience um, that gets value from our content and then to use that audience to drive customer or, or consumer uh, pieces, you know, rather than just trying to sell you stuff, we're going to focus on building an audience by providing high quality content consistently. And after we have provided this value to you, this value will drive you to buy our thing. Um, right. And, um, and it's not just, I say buy our thing. That's simplistic. Um, I've, you know, I've done a ton of, uh, content marketing for commerce clients, but I've also done a ton of content marketing work for uh, for ministry clients where buy our thing really means you know get on board with our message and, and you know right. I've done content marketing for um, for charities and nonprofits and NGOs where buy our thing really means support some group or bring attention to some uh, cause or spur activism in some area, but it's it's the nuance of not just telling you where to be active or what message to believe in or what products to buy, but like providing high quality content. And and this is very relevant to us as as developers um, and as practitioners in the content management space um, because the more content management really drives our projects. Um, the, the more we need to get on board with figuring out the patterns that, um, content marketing practitioners, um, are looking for and the tools that bring value to them, uh, and, and the technologies that make content marketing accessible and affordable, um, to, to groups that, that stand to benefit from this approach. You know, that's something that I, 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 wrote about in that uh, modern SEO and snake oil article that I did is that, you know, really what it boils down to is make good content. Make it so that you have something that is valuable that people are interested in seeing or reading and people will link to you. The analogy that I, that I use in there is it's actually something I've been saying for years, but it's the sunflower marketing principle. Which is basically, you know, sunflowers don't send out, or flowers in general, they don't send out email blasts trying to get the bees to come visit them, right? What they do is they they make themselves into something that is pretty, something that is attractive, something that will naturally draw what they want into it, right? And it's the same way with content. 
you know? Um, and then content marketing is kind of just taking that to another level because sure, once you create something, it's not enough to just make it. I mean, if anything, the explosion of the internet and the web means that we are competing for people's attention in a very cutthroat way. I mean, people only have so much time. Um, so you really do need to not just create good content, but then also effectively market it to the right people. Um, and if you're not doing both of those, it's not going to work out. It's not going to end well. Right. Well, the content, I guess the simple definition of content marketing is that content is your marketing strategy. Um, and I think, you know, early days of the web, and that's a funny thing to say because we're still in the early days of the web, but earlier days of the web, um, I think from a, a technology standpoint, it was easier to game the system and right. um, the web as a, like in its cultural existence and cultural impact was still growing and um you know so there was there was less noise but we've gotten to a point where um there is so much noise and so many messages competing for attention and also i mean the technology has advanced to a point where it is more difficult to game the system um it's it's more difficult to get found without actually being high quality content. Um, and yep. it, and it's more difficult and really nigh on impossible to sustain somebody's attention without being high quality content. And so, um, a lot of the shortcuts and games that dominated the early days of the web, um, just aren't effective anymore. And that's I think, over. That's over. I think that that's is, over. that is what, that is the business case for, for content marketing and, you know, implicit in content marketing for us as technologists is stuff like SEO and not the snake oily SEO of right. yesteryear, but like high quality structured data, you know, the stuff that right. we've been talking about on our podcast, the stuff that you've been writing blog posts about, the stuff that Google has been preaching uh, from the perspective of analytics and page speed and uh, and webmaster tools and search console and all of these things like really good high quality SEO and perf matters you know like um, right. making things fast making the user experience good um, and I think that that part of why I think a lot of this stuff is going to really hit a, a critical mass in this coming year is uh, I've seen in this past year, sort of the coming of age of the tool set for measuring and monitoring this stuff. Um, the tools that tell us if we are approaching SEO and performance correctly and effectively um, and being able to, to measure how well we're doing and monitor to make sure that we keep doing right. well. That tool set has really evolved in the last like 12, 18 months. And so I think now, you know, this is this is the age. This is what's going to differentiate you, and this is what is going to make extra money for your clients. Sure, you know? and 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 there really is a sort of network esque effect um, to all of this, in that the more people are getting on board with high quality content, high quality SEO, right. high quality performance, the more important it is for you to do that. Um, whereas, you know, up till now ish, 
you maybe could get away with not paying attention to this stuff. And really going forward, you can't get away with not paying attention to this stuff. Um, so speaking of, of getting messages out there and getting messages out there effectively, um, I got one more, one more bullet point for 2017 year in anticipation. Um, and that is, um, technology activism. Um, I think this past year, um, wherever you sit on the political or social spectrum, I think this last year has been a wake up call across the board, the signal to noise problem as it pertains to politics and public policy and, and social outreach and, and things like this, um, is really, really important. Um, and I have, you know, through watching the Twitters, through conversing with peers, um, I have really perceived this um, this sort of wake up, um, especially among um, people in our space, and uh, and realizing that there is um, there are issues that are really important to each of us, and it's no longer really sufficient to to kind of sit back and hope that somebody else uh, takes the lead on issues that are important to us um, and. And I think that we as web practitioners have access to potentially, you know, the most important tool set for, for making impact, you know, knowing how the web works, knowing how social networks work, knowing how communities work, and being able to tie all of that together with technology solutions. Um, I think 2017 is going to be a year where we see a lot of our peers um, getting active um, in, in the social space, in the policy space, in areas that, that are important to them. Yeah. So I, I'm a person that I, I cannot stand mixing politics with business. <laughs> I just, it, it rubs me the wrong way. But the, the one thing that I will say about this is that there have been a ton of studies that, you know, you would think that with all of this information out there, you can literally get information from anywhere on the globe these days, right? And you would think with all of this information out there that what would happen is people would become hyper-informed. They would know about everything that is, go is going on. But really what has happened is the exact opposite. Right. Um, and what has happened is groups tend to coalesce around other groups that share their opinion, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And because the internet allows people to connect. I mean, you, you may be, you know, into some super crazy obscure thing and you're going to find the other people that are into that same super crazy obscure thing. And you're going to be able to form your own little echo chamber. Right. And that is what has happened the world over. It's not just in the U S it's all over the world is that these groups that have similar viewpoints have gotten together and the only people they talk to are people with the same viewpoint that they have, right? And I really think that that's the heart of uh, the problem that's going on here. You know, a lot of things were, you know, such a surprise or whatever. That's because one side doesn't talk to the other and they have no idea mm -hmm. what the hell is going on in the, you know, whatever the, the other camp is or whatever. Um, and there's also the very unhealthy tendency to 
then demonize people that in are in one group that disagrees with you or whatever. So I'm all, you know, if you want to be uh, socially active and activism, sure, go for it, do whatever you want to do. But what you really need to be doing is you need to be talking with other people, right? You know, don't just talk to people that share your opinion, right? <laughs> you, you, not only are you just going to kind of reinforce and, and you will naturally seek out people that share your opinion. I mean, for, it's just what has happened. And not only are you going to then reinforce that, you also are going to be widening the gap between your group and every other group out there. And you're going to have no concept right. of what other people are thinking about. So my message would be, in addition to being whatever kind of activism you want to be, talk to people and don't just talk in an echo chamber. Right. Well, and I think not, uh, I, I say activism and I don't just mean like political activism or social activism. Um, you know, what I mean is I think, you know, the default to solution to having an opinion or having a frustration um, you know, that, that we're so familiar with the default solution is sort of go to, go to Facebook and like post on your bitch. Facebook about it. Right. <laughs> go to Facebook and bitch. About and, it. Yeah. and well, yeah, maybe, maybe, but not everyone Whatever. is, is, is so is necessarily negative about it, but, but like, you're right. A lot of times we're talking into an echo chamber. Yep. Um, and, and so, um, I think that, um, the reason that I, I think this is important to us is that like, we know how this stuff works. Right. Like, like we are the people who are building the platforms and ecosystems where either people are going to be reinforcing their echo chambers or they are going to be learning to listen and empathize with a wider set of, of people. You know, we are going to build right. the systems where fake news is going to win or where right. high quality content is going to win. Like we're we're the people like we have the tool set we have the access to really care about and improve these situations and it's not just it's not just like political it's not just social i mean it has a lot to do with how like we do our daily operations as practitioners um i think it was matt stauffer gave a a talk um called empathy is the killer feature um, or, or something like that. I'm gonna have to go go look up this talk. But like, just talking about how we as professionals can get better in our business at empathizing with our customers, empathizing with our colleagues, um, learning to really effectively listen, um, and then you know to use the tools at our our disposal to. Um, and I, and I want to you know broaden that too uh, from the perspective. Of, I wasn't even just talking about. Uh, politics from the point of view of, you know, left, right, Democrat, Republican, you know, whatever. I'm also talking about technology in terms of these yes. ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you, you know, you'll get people that are, uh, they get involved in, you know, the React JavaScript community. And then everything is a hammer. Yeah. Everything that they do is using React. And how am I going to use React to do this? React to do that? Well, you know, whatever. And I get it. I mean, you're specializing and this is what you're good at. But if the only people that you talk to are other React developers, you're not going to know what the hell else is going on out there. Right. This kind of um, seeking similar opinions and similar skill sets, I mean, it can be healthy. It can be a way for you to 
get better at this particular thing you're interested in. But in the same way that from a political point of view, it's incredibly dangerous that you seek out only people that agree with you. Right. From a technology point of view, if you seek out only people that are interested in the same niche technology that you are, you're similarly going to be isolating yourself. Yeah. You know? So so I think um, if, if there's a closing call to action that I would put forward, it's this. I mean, for your professional development, for, yeah. for your own good, and also, you know, for the good of our community, for building a more open and inclusive and pleasant web development community and, you know, for building a more open and inclusive and pleasant world at large. Talk to people. Yeah, I think people, you know, like, like people are sick of being mad at each other. You know, like, <laughs> 2016 seems like just everybody was mad at each other. And so, like, I hope I hope 2017 uh, is, is a year where uh, a lot of us really seize the opportunity and the the tools and the access that we have um, to just listen to each other technologically, politically, socially, model trains and Star Trek, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think I didn't know uh, you like model trains. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I know people who like model trains. I like I like Star Trek. Um, One of your best friends likes model trains, right? I personally, there are certain things about React that I just don't like. Like it doesn't really think the way that I think, and it also is a little bit uh, overbearing. Uh, you know, as we we're talking about before. However, uh, from my explorations of React, I have found some things that are really cool that they do that I hadn't thought of doing before, um, and it's worth it just to check that out. So don't just stay uh, in your comfortable little circle yeah um this is the year we build a more pleasant web um you know this is the year we we build a more pleasant empathetic listening listening web because i mean we as technologists have the tools and the experience to be leaders in doing that like we should we should own up and and have some leadership in we know how this works and we can push it to be better right and it's not the worldwide islands yeah okay it's a worldwide web things amen. are interconnected amen brother <laughs> all right it's been For an the hour craft podcast been... <laughs> happy new year everybody happy new year guys a, a prosperous and pleasant and peaceful 2017 to all of you i'm michael rog i'm andrew welch and we'll see you next time Bye-bye. 